0: I will. I will um, prognosticate here on a superpower that all of us have wanted at one point or another. Go ahead and roll that clip if you would, there, Sarah. So. Okay, that's the clip. We had to hear that line. Who here grew up with that one? I, I mean, oh my goodness. I remember one time I got grounded from TV for a week, and I made a deal with my parents. I could be grounded for two weeks if I could still watch The Incredible Hulk. That's how much I loved that movie. I mean, that, that show so much, because all of us, want. we would... We want that superpower. Like, like we get angry about something and we just want to be like hulk smash, because then we can say, like, oh, it wasn't me. It was the other guy, you know, the other girl, that beast that lives within. We want that superpower to just get angry and then just oh just go full on Hulk mode. Turn over cars, reach across the counter, grab the cashier who messed up, or drag them, throw them. Th- I, I, I mean, oh, if we, but if we had that superpower, as we learn from the narrative of the Hulk, it becomes this curse. When we can't control our anger, this beast comes up from within, and the consequences are actually disastrous. And that's the thing about anger, right? We think, oh, if I was the Hulk, I could not be held accountable. I could blame the other guy. No problems. But no, there are consequences. We wreak havoc. We leave this path, this wake of destruction that can overwhelm our family, our children, our spouses, our coworkers, our classmates. We leave this Path, this wake of destruction, and it consumes others, and it will even begin to consume ourselves. So we are going to look into then this sin, this vice, this habit of anger. Oh, I'm going to interject the story. By the way, I wrote this message on Thursday. and and some of you might know if you don't, you're about to know. I I ride my bike as often as I can as the weather permits to work. I love it. It's an awesome part of my day. I bike here. I bike home. So I rode my bike here on Thursday. I finished writing the sermon. I need to get going because I need to pick up my son for a lacrosse game, and I go out to my bike, and there's a flat tire. So Check one on wanting to go Hulk. I mean, there, you know, so I was like, it's okay, George. You have a flat kit. So I fixed the flat on my bike. And I go all the way down Dad Clark Drive here, and I get to the bottom, and my spare has given out. I don't know if I got a little snake bite or just a bad tube, but I'm flat again. And now I'm at the bottom of the hill. It's at this point where there is that part of me that wants to grab my bike, you know, and like I was ready to throw it into, you know, the traffic. It's okay, George. The universe is not conspiring against you. I call an Uber. The Uber guy comes. He picks me up. I call Karis, and I'm like, Karis, hun, you know, you might have to go get your brother. And she's like, oh, okay, but I just need to let you know that, like, I'm like a mile away from the church right now. I could pick you up. It was at that moment where I was, like, ready to go full on Hulk mode. Oh, George will smack. So I've been practicing I've been practicing what I'm about to preach here. Okay, we're going to get into this. Anger is a little different from the other sins because what we need to address first is that there is a good side of anger. It'd be very hard to, you know, say there's a good side to lust. Like, oh, you know, or the, hey, greed is good. You know, that sounds like a lie from the 80s, and it is a lie. So so, But there's a good side to to anger. So in order to distinguish the anger that we're going to talk about and the good side of anger, let's just talk about righteous indignation. We can, we should, there is this thing called righteous indignation. And, and, And that is when we have this holy discontent with things that are wrong, with things that are unjust, with things that are evil that we see taking a toll on our lives, the lives of others, and in our world in general. We should feel a righteous indignation about certain things. We should hear about, you know, children, you know, dying simply because the unequal distribution of resources is a thing. We should have a righteous indignation against that. People, you know, kids dying of AIDS in foreign countries. Righteous indignation can kick in. Uh, you, You know, we see unjust policies that perpetuate oppression of certain peoples and other nations. We see wars being waged for no other reason except for the egos of of people that want to expand their territory i mean so we should feel a righteous indignation against things that we know grieve the heart of god by, by the way, one of the most often repeated promises uh, given in Scripture, one of the characteristics we have, is that our God is actually what in regards to this righteous indignation when He sees the evil and the sin of the world? He is yet slow to anger and abounding in love. So, so, so before you sort of get any misconceptions about God and how we should reply, uh, respond, you know, just, just you know, put, in, put in your Bible search engine, How often do you hear that over and over? Our God is slow to anger and abounding in love. But when the time comes, we should allow righteous indignation to well up. It was righteous indignation and the prompting of God, of course, that caused Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, you are oppressing my people. You are enslaving them. You are killing them. This is wrong. Let my people go. It was righteous indignation that caused William Wilberforce to say, If by any means necessary in my lifetime, this will end. It was righteous indignation that caused Martin Luther King Jr. to say, Racial discrimination... Civil rights, you know, we are going to do this in my generation. Nelson Mandela looked at apartheid. side. Righteous indignation in our own generation now. Uh, Christine Kane seems to be leading this front against uh, the sex slave trade. Righteous indignation should well up for these things that break the heart of God. In fact, one author put it this way. This is anonymous. I would love to have known who he or she said this and get some more of their thoughts, but I love this. This person wrote, I would refuse, I would refuse to follow a Messiah who did not overturn tables. Mm -hmm. We, We need a God who will not stand for injustice. So this is referring to what is very often seen as the supporting narrative of anger when Jesus goes into the temple courts. The Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke, they tell the story at the, in the last week of Jesus' life, the week that we are coming up towards in our preparation for. For Easter. And Jesus goes into the temple, which is to be a house of prayer, and he said it has become this den of robbers. There's these money changers there, and they are taking advantage of the pilgrims. They're taking advantage of the people who've come to offer their sacrifices, to give their gifts, to lift up their prayers, and to celebrate the Passover meal, and they're being oppressed. They're being taken advantage of. And Jesus is righteously angry, at what he sees. And it says that he overturns the tables. Uh, John actually tells the story at the beginning. of that. The, so apparently this happened twice. And it says that Jesus even made a whip uh, on this. By, by the way, I, I would not you know, entertain the thought of I will be righteously you know, indignant whenever they overcharge me at the store. You know, it just might not be your area to overturn tables, literally. But what is interesting about this is it never says that Jesus was angry. He certainly demonstrates some anger, but we do have one story where uh, Mark tells us that Jesus was straight up furious, and it happens in Mark chapter 3 when Jesus goes to worship on the Sabbath at the temple, and there's a man there. It says that he has a withered hand. He has a problem with his hand, and his arm does not allow him to work for some reason, and he knows he's about to be set up because he sees all these Prophet, the, the, sorry, these Pharisees and these religious teachers and they know that Jesus has been doing stuff and he says, you know, what, what's better to do on the Sabbath? To, to take life, you know, to give life or to take life to do good or to do evil? And say so that they wanted to trap him. And so it says that uh, he reached out and healed the man but w- whenever he did that it said they were indignant. They were angry with Jesus for breaking one of their Sabbath laws. But that's where it says and this is the interesting thing. That's where it says that Jesus looked at them with anger and he was grieved at their hardness of heart. And and, and we're going to move on now to the anger that isn't so good, but that's it. That's what you need to understand. That's what we all need to understand about God's wrath and righteous indignation. It needs to come with a measure of grief and it needs to be on behalf of others. You see, God isn't grieved at anything unrighteous in him. No, no, no. He, he's grieved on behalf of others that are oppressed, that are enslaved, that are cheated, that are lied to, that are sworn He is grieved on behalf of others that are harmed by things. It angers him and it grieves him and it's on behalf of others. So, so that's sort of our checklist there, that we are not experiencing a personal anger, but we might be feeling a righteous indignation that might compel us to work for some change in the world if we are at the same time angered and grieved of this heart, heaviness in our hearts. And we really know it is for the good and the blessing of others. We don't have really any other personal vested interest in it except that we are doing good on behalf of others so that's righteous indignation but but we're here of course to talk about the other kind the kind that can fester and brew and stew and grow in the dark places of our lives this habitual anger problem i say habitual because again these these sins might best be seen as as vices as opposed to virtues. And vices and virtues are really habits and habits of the heart. And we can allow ourselves to go down a habitual path of anger, a habitual path of resentment and rage and malice. So that's what we're going to get into. Um, uh, So uh, let's just get into it here. Ephesians chapter 4. This is going to be our kind of core text here to get this started. Ready there? Super. So here's what we got. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we were all members of one body. So he has this prefacing statement here. This is why we're going to include this. We are members of one body. um, And we're going to putting off this old self, these old habits. And so we're going to get into some of the first things that we're to lean into in in the new self. In your anger, do not sin. Which is actually a quote of Psalm 4.4. In your anger, do not sin. And then we have this commentary. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Here's the picture that is painted for us by Paul and to his, the church here in Ephesus. And now to all, all believers, the, the devil loves your anger. The devil is very happy to take root and to live there in that anger residing in your life. The the devil seems very happy to go to bed with you at night and to play a reel to reel loop of every way that you've been wronged of every injustice that you've ever experienced, of every loss that has ever come your way, of every ill word ever spoken to you, and we seem to be able to put that reel-to-reel loop on repeat over and over again. He's happy to be there with you in the morning as you wake up and as you stew over breakfast. He's happy to go with you to work and to think the worst of every coworker. They're all out to get you. They all have it in for you. They're all conspiring. Against you, right? The devil is very happy to use that anger as a foothold into your life. I do some rock climbing on the side, and most people, it's very interesting. I like this wording. Most people think of rock climbing as, you know, all upper body and hand strength, and yeah, you need some upper body and hand strength. But I guarantee you, you do not free solo El Capitan. You do not climb that mountain without footwork. It is always about footwork in rock climbing. Nobody does pull ups for 3,200 feet. You get footholds and you step up. And and that is the power, that the devil doesn't even have a grip on you. He's got a foothold on you. Because what do you do with your feet? You get a foothold, and it moves you up, but somebody gets their foot on you, and it holds you down. And the devil, can I get an amen on that one? The devil wants to hold you down with that foothold on your life. And he can even do it with things that are, now hear what I'm about to say, even things that are legitimate. Because here is the deal with where this anger comes from. Most anger stems from loss in our lives. Something that has been taken from us, and then we are without. We've at we're on the, you know, we're on the, the bad end of the deal there. Something's been stolen, taken from us. And then we have this fear. That more will be taken from us. And again, what we need to have compassion and kindness towards is that it is absolutely legitimate. We have things that we could legitimately be upset about. Some of us, some people, maybe you had your childhood stolen from you, you lost your innocence in the most awful of ways. And you have every reason to be upset and angered by that. But that anger has become now a foothold in your life. You were betrayed by classmates. You were stabbed in the back. You were mocked and made fun of. Your name was slandered. Lies were told about you. But the devil is now using that as a foothold in your life. A loved one didn't keep their word a loved one turned their back. Somebody took advantage. And now the devil has a foothold. They cut you off in traffic. They weren't paying attention. Does it make them an awful person? The devil can still use that as a foothold. Simon Cowell doesn't think you have what it takes. The devil can use that. Is he still a thing, by the way, Simon Cowell? I don't know if he's on that anymore. The devil can use these things that were taken from us as a foothold. And they could be wrong. It's a lie. It's a theft. It was was right up evil. But the devil has taken it to the next step to use it as a foothold in your life. A foothold that is oppressing you now, and holding you down, and choking your life out. Best quote ever in regards to anger, maybe not ever. Frederick Biekner writes this, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. I I, I mean, just, just gotta let this soak in a little bit. Anger is possibly the most fun, to lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king." The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. Amen. Mic drop. Walk out on that one. I mean, does that not capture the foothold that the devil can get in our lives through the pain, through the grief, through the lies, through the loss that we've experienced and then what he can turn it into with anger? Christian thinkers have long divided the sins into different categories. Last week we talked about how sloth is uniquely this um, sin, you know, we talk about sins of omission and sins of commission. And most of these sins we are committing, but how sloth is uniquely the sin of omission. We're not putting the energy toward the things we should be putting our energy towards. Um, so another category is, is that we have some sins and, and, and some are called sins of the flesh and then sins of the spirit. And the sins of the flesh are some of the ones that we've already talked about. These are the ones that we like to talk about. The sins of lust, perhaps, or the sins of sloth, or the sin of of gluttony. And we like to talk about these fleshy sins. And they'll often be called the animal sins. Because it's as if we're uh, reaching down into or regressing towards this animal-like nature that hasn't been redeemed and claimed by the love of God. And we might want to put anger as this animal sin as this fleshy sin but their insight the ancients insight is to say no this is a sin of of the spirit because what was done to you is another thing and that thing is wrong that thing is unjust that thing has cost you a pay you know it's taken a toll on your life absolutely that thing happened in the flesh to you but now with anger it's gotten into your spirit now with anger the devil has gotten a foothold in your life. And that's the real danger. As though he begins eating away at you. In fact, what they says, they, they, they categorize and they call these the, the diabolical sins. And that is the diabolical nature of anger. How it gets a foothold in our life and then begins to consume and eat us from within. All that anger isn't paying, the, exacting the toll on others So much it is exacting the toll, the pain, the grief, the loss on ourselves. So let's turn a corner here and and maybe aim now towards some some of the good news. The Bible picture, again, with anger and with all these sins, and and this is to be good news, but again, this can be an interesting thought, perhaps, for for a lot of us. Anger is assumed, Anger is a, I, I, the Bible wonderfully, in a sense, just has this default mode of, oh, you're going to be angry, so let's do something about it. I mean, the Ephesians passage, oh, you're going to be angry, <laughs> don't let the devil get a foothold of it. And over and over again, as we see these images painted through words of the new creation that we are in Jesus Christ, they begin with dealing with so often anger. So we're going to turn just to kind of prove the point and go a little deeper into it. Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 8. But now you must, so this is the now. So now that you're in Christ, now that you're a new creation, now that you've given your life to Jesus, now that you want to love God and love your neighbor, now that we're moving in this direction, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. And what does it begin with? Anger, rage, Malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Let's put this in some terms that maybe we can get a handle on, that we can relate to, that we can remember and, and then apply. Some of us blow up and others of us bottle up. One old preacher put it, some of us are stewers and some of us are brewers. You know, some of us like to brew on it for a long time, and others just like to, to stew up and blow up. So let's talk about blowing up. Some of us, I mean, we are, we are one flat tire away from Hulk mode, right? <laughs> I, I, I mean, some of us are just one wrong word away from just unleashing a verbal assault. And, and, and it happens. I mean, it happens. I mean, one person kind of wrote this kind of funny narrative of, you know, Joe goes to work and he gets belittled by his boss. So Joe comes home and he demeans his wife. And so, and so his wife is upset. So, so, so she snaps at the kids and then the kids have nowhere else to go. So they kick the dog. And so don't go to visit that house because you know the dog is going to bite you. I mean, we have this way of just, just blowing up down the line at the next person but at some point if you're a if if you're a blow up person and and I don't feel I feel like we don't have to like I've actually talked to somebody who said they actually broke their hand once they were oh god 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 love I mean because I've hit some things but (laughs) um, you know at some point we just have to ask what am I so angry about but really ask it no really what am I so angry about has the universe conspired against me? Is everybody out to get me? Does my spouse really have the worst of intentions towards me? D- d- does, d- do my kids, have they completely rejected me? I mean, what, so what really, what really happened in my life that is now being used as a foothold for the devil and for this anger? And you need to go into that. You need to deal with that. You need to pray about that. You need to process that. Because again, it could be a very real loss. Something unjust, something taken from you, something that we would say is a part of this sinful and fallen world. And that is manifesting itself in your blowing up behavior. Now, in regards to this, people are often given really bad advice. If they see somebody that has this anger, by the way, maybe I'll just put put it here in the blowing up thing. No, I'll come back to that. Um, we're given really bad advice around anger. Because often we're told, like, you need an outlet, right? You need, a, you need to vent that anger. You know, you need to let it go. If somebody is really struggling with lust, we're like, you know, you need an outlet for that. You really need to really get into porn. You know, you're like, like, oh, man, you're lustful? Like, get into it then. Like, go get a hooker. I'm sorry, I'm being, like, crass here. You know, like, but we, that sounds outrageous right? You know, we're like, oh, you got a greed problem? You should get everything you ever wanted. Man, dig down into that greed. No, it sounds ridiculous. And then we come to anger and we're like, you need to get anger. No, they've done tests on this. when, When people start to vent their anger, it builds. It does not release. It builds. You start rehearsing all that stuff, all those people, every wrong. It builds up, and by the end, you are angry. I mean, you you build yourself up to this frothing, raging animal. No, 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 no. We don't, we don't, we, no, no, no. There has to be a different, a different approach. The world tells us we need to manage our anger, right? Mm Mm-mm. We need to get rid of it. We are never told to manage our anger. We are told, get rid of it. And getting rid of your anger is an entirely different thing, right? So I'll let you think about all the times you vented and how it just grew the anger in, in your life. So some of us blow up. Others of us bottle up. And that manifests itself in, in some messed up and, and, and very diabolical ways itself. I mean, I, I, they have linked now any number of anxiety and depression and ulcer. I mean, all these things with, with sort of this bottled up anger that takes its toll physically, physiologically on our bodies. Uh, Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump, incredible movie. And, and, and I could show the clip, except the clip it comes after a long, long build-up. Because in the movie Forrest Gump, you have this wonderful story of, of Forrest Gump, who is the Christ figure to so, so many and in, in so many lives. And the one ongoing relationship that he has, the life that we're most invested in, and this is, of course, the life of Jenny. And Jenny has had her innocence taken from her. Jenny has experienced loss in ways that I pray none of us ever would. Jenny begins to manifest that pain and that loss and that anger and self-destructive behaviors till she is diagnosed with AIDS and and all of that. But there comes that incredible scene where she has come home because she can always come home. Again, Christ figure, beautiful references. She can always come home to Forrest, and he always receives her with unconditional love and acceptance. And they're walking along that path, remember? And there's the house where it all happened. And she reaches down, and she takes a stone and she throws it, and she takes another stone, and she's just throwing stones and throwing stones and throwing stones, until she finally just collapses on the ground, And there's just that beautiful moment where four says, "Sometimes there just aren't enough stones." Sometimes there just aren't enough stones to right the wrongs to get back what was lost to recover what was taken from you. There aren't enough stones. We can blow up, we can bottle up, or we can go to God. We blow up, we bottle up, or, 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 or we just we go to God. And that is what God, that is what Christ, this is what our Jesus is inviting us to do, to, to go to Him. To go to Him so that we can get rid of it. If I was on the team leading worship, I would go into Queen Elsa mode right now and we'd all sing, let it go, let it go. I mean, it's a, you know, that's it. You Maybe that's your meditation now for the next season of life. You are going to get rid of, you are going to let go of the loss and the anger that has taken root in your lives. I think the band can get ready to come up because I'm going to kind of drive it home now with a couple application points for us. If you are really at that place where you know you are one bad driver, one inept clerk, one more file being dropped on your desk at work, if you are just at that tipping point of anger, I would uh, just advocate for you and impress upon you um, some practices. Uh, the first practice is to, to confess it. We always go back to the beginning. When, 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 whenever the, the life of Christ is, is very cyclical, remember, in, in this. I mean, we come to worship every week. We renew our commitments every week. We profess our love every week. This, so go back to the beginning of confession. If you are a Christ follower, if you are not a Christ follower, I would commend to you following Christ. If you are following Christ, and maybe this would be your entry point to following Christ, to confess not the loss that you experienced, not the injustice that was done towards you, not the lie that was told to you, all of that withstanding, nobody is denying that. Nobody is taking that from you. You need to confess, though, that foothold, that anger. You need to go to God and say, this now has taken on a life of its own in me. And I believe, God, that you don't want that in me. I believe, God, that you want better for me. I believe, God, that you don't want me to stew and to brew and to live with this anger having a foothold in my life any longer. I believe that, God, I really do believe that you want an abundant life of blessing for me. Not a name it and claim it, not, 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 not a health and wealth, not, not, none of that. But I believe that you, you, God, would not want me to live in this place of internal anger that eats away from me. So confess that to God. The second thing then is pray for the transformation. Our passages, both the Ephesians and the Colossians passage, talk about putting off the old self and living into the new self. Romans will tell us to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Invite the transformation of your thinking about this area of anger and the transformation then of your emotions around it. Believe that God can transform the very patterns of your thoughts and the emotions that are holding you captive. So pray for that transformation. And then finally, ask for forgiveness. Many of us say, is a regular habit of our hearts and a discipline of our lives of faith. And if you don't, again, I would commend this to you to recite the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this daily, daily bread as we forgive our, our debts, as we forgive our debtors. That is the weird one to so many people. But now, perhaps in light of anger, and the fact that so much anger comes from this place of loss, this suddenly makes so much sense. To forgive us our debts, because we've taken some things from others, as we forgive those who've taken things from us. And maybe, God, I just need to forgive that, even as I ask for forgiveness. So, confess it. Pray for the transformation of your heart. And then give the gift of forgiveness as you receive the gift of forgiveness for these debts, these things that you've taken and that have been taken from us. And I want to end with this image because Jesus, uh, each of these vices and virtues is found so deeply rooted in the Sermon on the Mount. And where we find this, I think, so clearly here is this idea where Jesus, this idea, this promise There, Jesus says, Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek. We, we never think about this one. This is the one that we just never, you know, we never really think about unless we're kind of, it's like put in front of us. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. What, what is that all about? <laughs> blessed are the meek. I don't even know what that is. For they will inherit the earth? What does that even mean? Well, classically, uh, meek was used to describe horses. In in the Greek armies, they would train their horses, and a, a broken horse, we shouldn't say broken, we should say a tamed horse, a bridled horse, was simply defined as a meek horse. And the way that they would actually test a horse to know if it was ready for battle, it was ready to be used in service for, for the Greek army, was that if a rider could actually take that horse, now I wasn't there, mind you, but this is what I read, um, if they could take that horse and they could run that horse through fire, because horses have an incredible natural fear of fire, but the horse, once it was bridled, once it was tamed, once it was meek, would trust its rider to even go through fire. So God is saying, blessed are you if you will trust me, if you will follow me, if you will be tamed, if you allow that anger, we'll put in that context, to be tamed by me. Blessed are the meek, because this meekness then is this strength, this power, this might that the horse has under control. Blessed are you if you follow me, if you trust me, in you obedience to me. And you will inherit the earth. It won't matter anymore what losses you've experienced in your life. Because with me, you will inherit the earth. You will inherit the very kingdom of God. Because there's no loss that we suffer this side of the kingdom and this side of heaven that will compare to the glorious riches that we have in store for us as the children of God. Amen? Nothing, no loss, no pain, as awful as it. Maybe, and friends, I'm not taking away that it may be awful, but nothing compares to the glorious riches that we have in store for us if we will meekly follow Jesus. Amen. Let me pray for us, friends, and we're going to do a little bit of worship. Heavenly Father, for the man, for the woman, for the child who has experienced loss, I pray that you will meet them in that void, in that pain. I pray that they will know that you are there with them in that hard place. But Lord, I pray that you won't just be there with them, but you will take them and move them forward. They will take that anger and they'll be able to confess it to you. Confess that foothold, confess that anger now. That has been living in their heart and their soul and their life for so long. I pray that you will begin this incredible work of transformation of their mind and their emotion as they are living into the new creation that we are in you, Jesus Christ. And that we will receive forgiveness for our debts as we offer forgiveness for things that have been taken, for pain that has been given, for lies, for deceptions, for injustice, for the things that have caused us this anger. We extend The gift of forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lord, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those of us who get this power under control, who follow you. Bless us, Lord, so that we may inherit the glorious riches of your kingdom. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.